1: Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose DeAnon, a community engagement manager here at MCP, and I am joined by Jamila Pitts, social entrepreneur and author of Toward Liberation: Educational Practices in Activism, Healing, and Love. Welcome, Jamila.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited for this conversation.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's been since 2019 that we've been in the same space. Can you imagine that it's been so long and so wild? Um, and so I'm just like fangirling and I'm, I'm stumbling with my words, but I, it's just so exciting to be in this space with you. And just thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. So before we get started, what is bringing you joy currently?
2: That is such a beautiful question. Um I think immediately what is bringing me joy is just being able to be, being able to operate in the fullness of my humanity, which I know and recognize, especially as a Black woman, is not always afforded and it's not easily afforded. So just being able to be, I've had a really busy summer of just tons of movement, tons of holding space for others, pouring out for others, doing this dance between the really full work that I do. And the past few days have allowed for just ease and have allowed me to just be. And so that is, that has been joyful, like just the ability to be.
1: Oh, and that's just so, just amazing, right? Because I know when we allow ourselves to just be, magical things happen. Um, And something that I'm coming across a lot is like a reminder that we are human beings and not human doings. And I think I've just navigated my life just doing, 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 doing. So it's really nice to just like take a breather and pause. And um, as a recovering workaholic, (laughs) uh, it's really, really difficult sometimes for me to just be. And that's okay. That's okay. Right. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Um, Okay. Well, tell us more about who you are and how you started your teaching and learning journey.
2: Yeah. So that question, just the who am I is always, always really tricky. And I think it goes to what you just said in terms of in our world and our society, we're often so consumed with what we do and that being attached to who we are. Um, So I'll start with, in terms of just the, I am, I am Jamila. Um, And and the fullness of of what that means, I'm very fortunate that the work that I am able to do and the the work that I have done, and particularly in the education space, is an extension of who I am, though it is not who I am. But in terms of just like the bio and and my work, um, I am an educator. I am a writer. I am a wellness entrepreneur. Um, I started my journey in education as a classroom teacher. I started teaching in Boston, and then I had the opportunity, the privilege really, to teach internationally in in the Dominican Republic for a couple years before deciding that I wanted to return to the States and teach. Um, I taught for some time in New York City before moving into school leadership. I worked as a dean, I worked as a coach, and then I worked as a a founding high school assistant principal in New York City. And then I ultimately or was moved to a place where I needed to honor my body. I needed to honor myself. And I decided to resign from that position and lean into um, courageously this journey of being an entrepreneur. And so that work led me to found my consulting firm, Jamila Fitz Consulting. And I've had the privilege to work with schools across the country and in some international spaces, supporting educators, leaders, and teachers, and centering racial equity practices and centering social justice, and also being able to bridge in my work as, um, I'll say someone who holds space for healing as a yoga teacher, as a meditation guide, as a Reiki practitioner. Um, And so I'm in this really, really beautiful space now of being able to operate as an entrepreneur, both with the consulting firm and then an organization that I launched. It's called She Imprints. And we serve at the intersection of wellness and justice for women and girls of the global majority. Um, And that is right now, like my, my heart's work, Um, being able to hold healing spaces for women and girls of the global majority so that we are nourished and poured back into. And then you mentioned this as well. It's just like really full right now. But my first book, Toward Liberation, actually comes out in a couple months in November. Um, And so I get to add author to that. And so that that is the fullness of my being through my work right now.
1: I have to take all of that in because you are just oh my gosh what and you're in my circle how <laughs> this is so 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 dope and I've again like you and I've seen each other's journeys and so I'm just really excited for all the things that you're doing um and all the things that you have done before and I and you know something that really stuck out to me is like that honoring my body piece right like education is hard um, and if you are part of the education system, it takes a toll on our mental health, our emotional health, and even our physical health. And so sometimes our bodies are speaking to us and we just ignore because that's what we're used to doing. We just keep going, 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 going. Right. Um, and then especially with like the beginning of the year is, is coming. It's like a lot of our, a lot of our educators have already started and there are some that are going to start at the end, you know, like next month. And so it's like, there's a lot of feelings that come when the first of, when the first day of school comes around. Right. Um, Another thing that I really wanted to note too, is that I love, 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 global majority. Like, yes, that is definitely a shift that we need to make with the words that we use. Right. And so I love this whole concept of the global majority because, duh like we are (laughs) you know like it's about time we put like a positive spin to it um instead of all the other words that have been used to describe folks of color um and so again like you've just done you've just done some really incredible work on educators and taking back their time and taking care of themselves right so how did you get into this work of healing and wellness especially for black women and women of color
2: Mm, that is a big question so the I would say the bulk of it, it's, it's been deeply personal and it's been deeply painful. And I think, I know that teaching is an art form. I know that writing is an art form and so much of, so much of our most impactful work, um, our most powerful work, I believe just ca- can come from a place of pain, um, can come from just these really robust, profound lived experiences, um, yeah, like, like you just said, teaching can be such a sacrifice. It definitely, I think to teach well um, can require all parts of you and can impact all parts of you. And that's something that I started to feel pretty ar- early on in my teaching career, but I was early 20s, I mean, I went straight through college to grad school right into the classroom. And so I think I was maybe 23, 24 when I started teaching. And the culture of schools, um, you know, schools are not removed from our society. Um, I know that sometimes people like to think that schools are these isolated bubbles, but they are not. They are microcosms of the society that they operate within. And so when we think about the placement of schools within a capitalist society, a lot of that grind culture and that the the push and the emphasis to go, 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 to do, do, do. And and then you add on top of that, this, the nature of teaching, um, the selflessness of teaching, which with in itself is not a bad thing. Um, But neglecting yourself is not human. Um, It is not you're not caring for the totality of of who you are. And in schools, it's a really unique harm because there's there's this understanding that in order for me to teach well, and for me to be a really great leader, if I'm an educational leader, I have to continuously pour out like my selflessness is a badge of honor rather than it being my selflessness is a way that I'm actually neglecting my own humanity. Um, And so for me, the, the journey to this work was very personal. I think that I experienced burnout when no one was really talking about burnout. Like that wasn't a thing. It was just It's just what we do. It's how we work. Um, I started my teaching career in a charter school, and um, not saying that this is the case for all charter schools, but for all of the charter schools that I worked in, uh, there was a really toxic grind culture, a really toxic burnout culture. And so I actually found the yoga practice pretty early in my teaching career. And as someone who grew up dancing, I gravitate towards um, healing modalities and forms of exercise that feel really fluid in my body. Um, Yoga was something that I found that balanced mind, body, and spirit for me, and it just felt good to me. So I want to say in 2017, 2018, I decided to become um, a yoga teacher. And again, it was just a, a deeper way to pour back into myself. But what was birthed out of that was this, not only political desire, but this really personal desire to continue to care for myself, but to also create pathways and opportunities to care for others. Um, As a Black woman, I just see and I pay attention to first other Black women and Black girls. And a part of that is really seeing women of the global majority and girls of the global majority and understanding just this really integral and powerful role that we play in any society, if you want to shift a culture of a place or a space or a country or a time, um, you know, women and girls of the global majority, it's a really powerful place to start. And when we are well, when we are healed, when we are taken care of, um, just by our nature, we tend to to make sure that everyone else around us is good. Um, and so, yeah, it started from a place of pain. And, and I believe that you can tap into your pain and and shift it into a place of power. And that's what I've been able to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. The pain and turning it into power, right? Um, That's something that I've been sitting with the past two weeks of just facing pain. Um, I can't avoid it anymore. I've just kind of swept it under the rug. And and so it's just now catching up like that rug is full. (laughs) There's no more space. So I have to really just go ahead and face this pain, but also understanding that I still have the control of how I react to it, right? Um, I could shift my mindset, I can do all these things, I have the power to do that. And so me avoiding it is no longer helping anyone. Um, And I really like, you know, what you said, like, when we're well, we can take care of others the best way that we can. Um, And I think, you know, also like I started teaching at 22 and you're absolutely right about charter schools and you and I have not worked at the same charter schools. So (laughs) I have worked at a lot of charter schools and I would have to agree that there is a, there's a, an expectation, an unspoken expectation that we just continue to show up for the kids. Right. And which, to me, like I love, like my babies were everything to me and I wanted to show up for them as best as I could. Um, and also understanding that like, I'm tired. I actually don't have the time and the energy to take care of me. I'm always constantly taking care of others. Um, and I'm just now learning that, um, in 2023 that I'm like, Oh, I, I have, I have to take care of me. And this is something that I tell our educators all the time too, is like it's not selfish for us to take care of our needs. Um, and I know that that's what society has been saying, especially for women of the global majority, right, that you just gotta give, 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 give. you cannot. Pause and process and take care of you, you can't rest. I mean there's this whole you know thing about rest now, right? like rest is resistance, rest is needed, rest is life, but it's it's just so difficult for for people to do that because that's just not what we've been doing um, and I just really like this like this this phrase that you said it's a unique harm, right um, Educators go in. Um, not for the money (laughs) definitely not for the money Um, and it's it's more so like there's that love and passion for educating our young folks right and because of that there's so much just unsaid expectations and unrealistic expectations honestly to continue to show up for others even when you're not doing well right Um, and so thank you for just naming all of that Um, and so Jamila and I actually met through teaching for Tolerance, which is now Learning for Justice. And, and so whenever I see your name as the author for an article, Jamila, I swear, I'm just like, click, I'm going to read that one. <laughs> I want to read that one. Um, and so the most recent article that I came across, Self-Care and the Movement, really resonated with me. It's, it's also perfect timing since it's the beginning of the school year. And again, we're talking about taking care of ourselves, right? And so tell us the how and the why of this article.
2: Yeah, it it comes from it's I don't write about things that I have not lived. Um there is so much that I'm still healing from and I resigned from working in schools um early 2020 right before the pandemic happened. Did not know the pandemic was going to happen. Otherwise I would not have opted <laughs> to be unemployed. But um it was something that was necessary. And I knew that if I didn't make that decision for myself, that my body was going to or my mind was going to um, in the ways that our minds and our bodies cry out um, when when we neglect care or when we are in spaces like I was that forced me in a lot of ways to neglect my own care. Um, but I also think it's just a, a part of where the, the piece came from is not only where educators are at this this time, I think that educators are always on a battlefield. Um, I think that particularly folks who work as um, classroom teachers are always on the, the front lines, or I like to say that they're in the trenches always. But especially now in the social, social, political climate that we're living in, in terms of. Um, especially those of us who know that it's important to center liberation and justice and, and the work of education. Um, there is a warring that is happening right now. There is a battle that's happening right now. And many teacher activists, many educators who who believe in this work and know that this work is essential, not just to the work that we do with young people, but to the the livelihood of our nation and of our world. Um, it's important it is so necessary. It is foundational. It is crucial that we don't neglect our care. Um, What tends to happen when we see a lot of the pushback, when we see a lot of the legislation, when we see a lot of the hatred, when we see a lot of the ignorance is for those of us who, who are advocates, who are activists, we can go into this Kind of like the the body does when it's you know fight or flight, just moving into this space where we're, we're moving out of an out of a place of just a, a ton of adrenaline to respond to an attack, and that is what's happening in the education space right now. But it is incredibly important, and Learning for Justice also wanted to put out this message that we that we remember to. To care for ourselves, um, I constantly go back to Audre Lorde's words as a mantra, um, in almost everything that I write when I'm talking about this, when she says that you know, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. Caring for myself is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And so, we cannot continue to push back. We cannot continue to fight. We cannot continue to act advocate and to be activists if we are not well, like it just is not possible. You know, I think another piece is we've seen historically, but also more recently, you know, a number of, of activists who, who die by suicide, um, or activists or advocates who are not only in the, in the education space, um, but in the activism space, Receiving and um, experiencing harm, um, you know, due to the nature of the work. And so it is incredibly important to remember. I like to think about this work as being holistic. When we think about anti racist practices, when we're talking about social justice, when we're talking about pursuing equity and liberation and freedom work that a part of that circle, a part of what it means to do this work holistically is making sure that we are well. And so this, this article speaks to that. And it speaks to how in a capitalist society um, that is also sexist and patriarchal um, and hosts a number of other types of isms and phobias, this attack on self-care, this attack on wellness, um, whether it's subtle or or indirect, right? Not having the conversations around the importance of wellness and self-care um, is a part of how oppression is sustained um, because people cannot resist if we're not well, if we don't have the time to even think about, you know, how do I freedom dream as Dr. Bettina Love talks about, if, if I don't have the time and the space and the mental clarity to even think about how to make the world a better place, that is a part of how oppression is sustained. Um, And so it just, I think that the conversation is always timely, but I think especially given what is happening in terms of our democracy, what is happening in the education space, that remembering this piece of liberatory work is also incredibly
1: important. (laughs) Jamila, like the whole, all of that being a part of oppression, right? Like you're so right. Like if we're not, if we don't have the time and the energy, we can't fight. We can't do the work that needs to be done. Um, and I never even thought of it that way before. Um, so that, thank you for giving me something to sit with this week um, and forever, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 and yes. And I'm al- always constantly asking folks around me too, like, how are you resting? Right now, like, I hear you're telling me all of these things that you're doing which sounds fantastic. Also, tell me how are you resting? How are you taking care of yourself? How are you making sure that you have time to just stare at a wall, or even just sit outside on the grass and feel all the things just being outside, right? And this is something that I'm also doing for myself. Um, of like, okay, I'm working these many hours. I need to take breaks. I need to go on vacation. I need to go heal. I need to go take just. I need to take a step back, right? And so when you're thinking about this word self-care and there's like an attack, right? Um, There's also been, you know, a lot of influencers um, on social media who utilize this word self-care for likes, for um, money. Right. And so this word has just been used over and over again. And I think when I first came across it, it was a definite like scratching the surface. It was more so like, oh, it's self care, but I'm actually really being se- selfish and really being inconsiderate of others, right? Um, so what what does this really mean to you? Um, and is there like a right way to do self care?
2: Yeah, I think you you bring up a really good point in terms of whenever something, and I I think it's a great thing that we are having more conversations about wellness and healing and self care. But the downside of that, especially in our society and the way that our society just functions right now is when things become trending or um, buzzwords, we can move away from just the power and the impact of what we are actually talking about. And then, yes, you have this added piece of, you know, in a capitalist society, it's how do I take this thing? I mean, the same thing happened in the DEI space, you know post-2020, how do I take something that is really powerful that people are talking about? Um, but in this capitalist society, it's like, okay, now how do I capitalize or um, you know monetize off of this thing? And then what happens is the value decreases. Um, so in, in terms of self-care, I don't think that there is a right or wrong way. Um, we are all individuals. We are all you know, having a human experience in the way that we are having a human experience. And what I need to be well and to care for myself may vary from what you need to be well and to care um, for yourself. So I think it's, and this is just speaking from my own journey, and I do believe that it is a journey. I don't know that you ever fully arrive at being I believe that we are whole beings. I do believe that. I do not believe that we are lacking um, or that we are inadequate or incomplete in any kind of way. That's just my own personal belief. But I do believe that this process of healing, of um, taking care of oneself, of just prioritizing our wellness is a lifelong journey because we're going to, as long as we are living, we are going to continue to evolve. We are going to continue to expand. We're going to experience grief in various forms. Our body will shift and change and evolve. Um, Our mind will shift and change and evolve. And so the way that we tend to what we need to be well in various seasons is going to look differently. The way that I care for myself in 2023 is very different than the way that I care for myself in 2018. Um, And so I don't think that there's a right or wrong way. But when I am asked to talk about self-care, wellness, healing, or I'm leading space around it, I do encourage people. I often just share what has worked for me. And I encourage folks to really think about it holistically. How are we caring about all aspects of ourselves? Um, I think a part of what is happening In terms of talking about self-care and wellness and healing a lot right now, it's like, again, it's very trending. And so sometimes we're focusing just on doing the things that's going to make someone else money. Like, listen, I'm all for a manicure and a pedicure. I love getting massages. Like, all of that is wonderful. And it is a part of self-care. But we also have to think about who we are in our entirety, like, what do you need to physically be well? What do you need mentally to be well, emotionally to be well? If you're, if it's, if this resonates with you, like, what is, what do you need to be spiritually well to care for your emotional self? Um, If you're someone who's into energetic work and the energetic body, what do you need to energetically be well? What do you need in terms of your relationships and boundaries and communication? What do you need financially, you know to be well that is a part of it um you know what do you need in terms of like all aspects of your being in terms of your pleasure in terms of your joy and so it is there's a wide range and i encourage people to just think about that like who am i holistically like who am i as an entire being and then what do all parts of me need to be well like what does my inner child need um you know is therapy and i'm a, a huge advocate um you know, for therapy. And I love that we're having more conversations around stigmas around mental health, particularly in communities of the global majority. Um, and what does it look like to, to work against those, those barriers um, and those stigmas? Stigmas around it. Um, and it's a beautiful thing that's happening in the world right now. Um, like, I could go on and on. Like, I'm really into like wellness and healing because I see the power of personally what happens to me um, when I'm able to. Center my healing and, and being well and I look at how not only has my life transformed, uh, but how my, my relationships transformed. And ultimately, I think it's how we heal the world. I think it's how we transform the world. Um, and thinking about that. So I don't think that there's a right or wrong way. But I do think that a great place to start is to think about it holistically and what do all parts of me need.
1: Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point too, Jamila. Because I was definitely the one that was like, "I'm going to get a manicure and pedicure. That is self care, and really still avoiding that that deep, painful work that I needed to do. And I didn't realize that I was avoiding so much until I left the classroom where I actually had the time to take care of me because I was just so busy taking care of my 80 plus kids that I was working with, as well as my colleagues, you know, and, and, and the families that I worked with. Um, and so, you know, I love teaching. I love everything about it. Um, but I also use that as a way for me to not do the work because I was so busy, quote unquote, fixing things and people and and you're absolutely right like as human beings we are whole we're not lacking anything right um but for me it was just this like oh like my student is going through this so let me fix it real quick or like this problem is arising for someone else let me go ahead and fix that and while I was over here busy like quote-unquote fixing everything and everyone I was like crumbling and I continued to lose sight of who I was as an individual. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, it's, it's, it's scary to face who we really are as individuals. And I think it's so much easier to blame external things. Right. Um, and this was a conversation that I had with a really good friend of mine, um, this week was that, you know, um, she had been reading a lot of my writing and she said, you know, a lot of your writing stems from pain also it's a lot of external blame so you know she's like and I wonder how we could look deep within dig deeper within and see like start looking at it internally and what's happening and what we can control and what we can um shift instead of always constantly blaming other things other people the environment whatever it is right and so I was like huh Thanks for the call out. <laughs> I it was a call out I didn't think I needed, but clearly I do. And so I just, I really appreciate just that reminder, right? Like we are whole um, and how we take care of ourselves now will probably be different than how we take care of ourselves in three months, in a year, in five years, right? Um, and so I often like catch myself thinking like, well, I should have done this. And it's like, no, I'm doing it now. And that's what matters is that I'm doing it right at this moment instead of not even realizing or not even being aware. Um, And so I have to like shift that, right? Instead of like blaming myself for not knowing any better, I want to celebrate the fact that I know now. Um, And I think that's really important too. And sometimes I feel like as educators, we need that permission to celebrate ourselves, which is wild to me, right? Um, and I'm always asking, you know, like, hey, like, what went well, right? Because again, as human as human beings, we're so, it's just an automatic, it's like nature, right? Like for us to think of all the negative things that happened. Um, and so shifting to like, Let's talk about what went well today before we dive into like all the things that went wrong. <laughs> um, because we do want to, we want to celebrate even if it's just like little wins, right? Um, and so I, I'm, I'm really curious, um, what are the impacts of not actually taking care of ourselves, especially if you're an educator of like little things that we don't know? Those are signs from our body or signs that just like we need to rest or, you know, do some healing, what are some, I don't want to say symptoms, but like just signs that sometimes we just overlook?
2: Yeah. I wish somebody, you know,
1: I wish people were having
2: these conversations when I, when I was in the classroom, certainly, but just working in the education space, especially when I moved into leadership, um, I probably would still be working in schools if that were the case. Um, I can speak to, Definitely just my personal experience and some of the patterns that I've picked up, and just holding space for educators and working with educators in terms of some of the, the signs or symptoms. Um, I think that you brought up a really good point in terms of just the self neglect that's happening when we are, whether it's directly or indirectly focusing on young people focusing on what's happening within the schools you know putting out fires that are happening within the schools and we're not negle- and we're neglecting ourselves and so i think a part of that is even just the pausing and really thinking about in terms of the ratio and the time and how i'm spending my day how much of that how much of my mental energy my physical energy is fixated and focused on someone else um you know versus myself i think that that's a a huge one. Um, this one is really small but really important. It was something that I noticed one day um, when I was working as a school leader. I didn't. I never had time for a lunch break. Like never had time for a lunch break. Um, there were months at a time where um, I never left the building. I never, you know, had any fresh air. Um, there were some schools where I could just like leave for a moment, grab something to eat, and come back. But then there were other schools when there just wasn't even a single time where I had time to even nourish myself. So it's like, what are you eating? Um, I'm a huge advocate for just using food as medicine and, and food as nourishment um, and, you know, paying attention to what am I what am I putting into my body? What do I have time to put into my body? Um, for me, there were a lot of physical symptoms that I was not okay Um my sleep was really interrupted. If we're not sleeping, if we're not resting well, like that is when the body heals. And so if our sleep is interrupted, that is a a, a really key indicator, both in terms of mental and physical health, that, that something is is off. Um, you know, that our body is physically not able to do something or isn't doing something that, that we're intended to do. Um, one of the other things that popped up for me was just mentally I was getting to a place of just not being well um I had been in therapy for quite some time but then I got to a point where um and I'm an advocate for for mental health care I'm an advocate for mental health care in the way that you need it um and I started to have to have conversations with myself around how I felt about medication because there was a point um in my career and working directly in schools where I did need to, I needed medication to function. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was a part of it. Just feeling like I, I mentally was not going to be okay with the, just the pressure the toxicity that I was experiencing. Um, also as someone who menstruates, um, a really key indicator was like having consistently like, really, really painful menstrual cycles. And as a black woman, as a woman of the global majority, we're often just kind of dismissed when we talk about that kind of pain. Um, But it's actually not normal. Like your pain is a, is your body's way of saying that, like, something's not right here and that it needs attention and care that was a huge one for me having digestive issues so a lot of these things I ignore but now that I'm in this space that I am now I, I realized that a lot of these were red red flags these were symptoms these were these were signs um, at one point like my hair was falling out like different things was happening to my skin and so our body is incredibly intelligent and it speaks to us and I think that when you're in a and in an environment where it's go, 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 um, even if your body is speaking and you're starting to pay attention to it, if you're in an environment where we're a leader or, you know, the culture is not one of care. And I definitely was working in spaces where there was not a culture of care, but even added on to that, you know, people that I was working with and around, you know, would say really harmful things to me, um, because I was choosing to care for myself or because, you know, I was diving more into my wellness journey. And so if there's like a negative, like culture of people, like if other people around you are also not caring for themselves and they see it as a badge of honor to not care for themselves. Like, I think that that's a a sign and a symptom as well, but um, there are a number of ways that the body speaks to us. There are a number of ways that our mind speaks to us and tells us like, Hey, I need some attention and care and, and I'm not as, as well as I could be. Um, I also want to name just as a black woman, because in educational spaces, in workspaces, we tend to one, there's not a ton of mental health research around what mental illness is, like how it shows up and it manifests specifically for black women. Um, and so certain things like when we're really irritable, um, and a lot of that being connected to the fact that we're malnourished and we haven't slept well, and then we're having to deal with like patriarchal stuff and you know sexist stuff and and racist stuff. And I'm saying stuff. I want to say another word, but I'm saying stuff. Um, like that is going to take a toll on your your mental health, your emotional health, on your who you are as a as a spiritual being. Um, and if you I don't know anyone who's like well and wonderful and giddy and excited when they're malnourished and they're not able to rest. But then there's this double and triple toll that we experience as black women like, you know, God forbid, I don't smile that day or I don't laugh that day or I'm feeling a, I have low energy or I'm feeling like really irritable and. Um, and then I'm this angry black woman. Um, and so there, there are a lot of different ways that our body speaks to us and, and seeks to get our attention. And when we're in environments like schools that don't always prioritize our care, um, we, don't always, we don't always see that. So I appreciate you for asking that. I really wish someone was having these conversations way back when, when I was working in schools.
1: I mean, same. Same, right? Like, and it's again like going back to like the comment of like dang, I should have known these, but I I just didn't. And so now I'm just glad that, like you said, we're having conversations about it. Um, there is also this book that I read, uh, The Body Keeps a Score. Um, and it's just all about how our body just like soaks up all the things that are happening to us and we really have to take just pause and just breathe and figure out like what is happening and listening to our bodies. And I, I know something that I've done now with my own practice daily practice is like I put a a timer or like a, a reminder on my phone to be like, Hey, are you okay? Check in with your body. Um, And that's been really helpful, especially with my brain and how my brain works. Like I need those reminders to tell me to pause or else I will just work all day, every day, not even like look up from my computer, right? And so, you know, figure out how you can set reminders for yourself to just check in, even if it's just like a two minute check in and see like what is happening in your body right now. And I think that also works with like any decision or any situation you find yourself in, right? Like let's take a moment to pause and see how it's feeling because like you said, our bodies are so intelligent and I wish I would have known this earlier. (laughs) Um, And I'm just so happy that I'm listening to my body now because everything makes so much sense now. Um, and so thank you for just like naming all those things, Jamila. I think that there's definitely more conversation that need to be had over all the things that you just talked about. Right. Um, and so listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Jamila's journey. community here are some learning experiences for the upcoming week if you identify as an educator of color join our monthly shades of excellence community meeting on the fourth monday of every month we have one coming up on monday august 28th at 7 p.m eastern time to connect and learn alongside other educators of color We also have a workshop on Thursday, August 31st at 6 p.m. Eastern time on unlocking reading through self-paced learning. We have three MCP mentors who will be joining us, one elementary, one middle school, and one high school educator who will provide strategies and support on how to teach reading using a blended self-paced mastery-based learning approach. Make sure you register to get the resources even if you can't make it. All links can be found on the show notes. All right. We're back with Jamila. So this month, we're focusing on embracing resistance. It's been an interesting journey for me hearing other folks' descriptions, feelings, reactions when they hear this. So when you heard it, what what came up for you? How do you define resistance and how can we embrace resistance?
2: Mm, Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind for me in hearing resistance is like... (laughs) the the first image that popped in my mind is just what happened down recently in Alabama on the water. It's like a form of resistance, like this very (laughs) physical, visceral, but also needed response of bodies to respond to decades and centuries of just harm and oppression and people being like enough is enough and I'm not having it. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, but also what comes to mind into resistance. And I, when I'm working with educators and we talk about activism and we talk about resistance, um, I show this wheel that, that shows that there are very different ways that people can resist. Um, I remember when I, would talk about and teach into the civil rights movement with students and pointing to the number of different ways, you know, that people resist and people push back um, against something that is unlawful, something that hurts, something that is harmful, something that is deeply rooted, or sometimes it can be just resistance in the sense of sneezing. Like you inhale something and your body is like, no thank you um and pushing that back out um and so it can look a number of different ways um and i think you know what is powerful about resistance no movement of resistance within our country you know has been successful one without the the presence and the impact of young people they have often been you know on the front lines and the drivers of resistance but it's also been um the civil rights movement is, is coming back to me for some reason in this particular moment. But yes, we have the male leaders that were getting a lot of attention, but then I also think about people like Ella Baker, you know, black women who were behind the scenes, who were strategists, who were not looking to have, um, all of this intention and to necessarily be in the limelight, but their, their, their activism, their resistance was behind the scenes. It was in mobilizing young people so that the resistance was, was sustainable. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, after marches and people were you know physically harmed and a, a lot of that brutality landed physically on their bodies. I'm thinking about the nurses and, and the women who, um, and people who tended to care, to caring for people who were harmed um i'm thinking about folks who fed people in their kitchens um so i'm i'm shifting from thinking about like just this massive physical resistance that we've you know we've seen recently um historically but also the the various small though incredibly important ways that people resist and push back against something that is harmful and not just for the sake of pushing back or in some cases when people have met violence with violence um but but for the, the sake of what's on the other side of the resistance, which is liberation, which is shifting, which is um, healing, which is remedying, which is the repair. Um, so yeah, that's that's what comes to mind to me, comes to my mind in terms of resistance.
1: Um, and I'm I'm really glad that you brought up the Montgomery brawl. Um, that is still so much to unpack. I mean, I've been in the Philippines for three months and that's what I came back to. And I was like, why are people posting on their social media like messed up Crocs, these you know, <laughs> these white folks like handcuffed, like what is happening? And so that the Internet went wild with that one. Um, the clapback has been really entertaining, to say the least. Um, and so. I mean, you're right with like the embracing resistance, right? There's so many ways to show up. Um, and I think, you know, um, with everything that's happening too, I know that I, te- like for me, I was looking at social media and I was like, oh, I need to do A, B, C, D, right? And it's like, no, actually, I need to do what I am comfortable with, first of all, and also like look at my skill set and what I can do with my skill set. Like if it's something that I can do, that I feel comfortable with. And also like, I know that this is a strength of mine that I can do it this way. That's what I need to focus on as opposed to like comparing myself with like other activists who are doing all the work um, in different ways. Right. And I, I just really um, just something that I've been saying a lot too, is just like moving pebbles because I get overwhelmed a lot. Jamila, like my, my neurodivergence comes out and I want to do all the things. And then I get so sad because I feel really big emotions and I get really, really sad when I feel like I'm not doing enough. And so a reminder for myself is like, you're moving pebbles. And if that's all you could do right now, that's all you can do right now. And that's okay. Right? Like the work that we're doing now is not going to take overnight. It's going to take years and years of unpacking and unlearning and relearning um, and so I can't put the big burden on myself to like do a big gesture and make a big impact overnight and so like for me it's just like moving pebbles and for me it's like hey let's have conversations like these because this is needed like we've avoided it for so long or we've just like we were too scared to talk about it or whatever the reason may be but like having conversations really open up so much more um, opportunities to figure out how we can better ourselves for each other. Right. Um, and so thank you for that. Um, so let's let's shift. You have a book coming out, which you said. I mean, congratulations on writing Toward Liberation, Educational Practices Rooted in Activism, Healing, and Love. Like what a beautiful title. Um, and I'm so excited to read this. It's coming out on November 7th. So tell us your process about creating this like baby of yours. Like I feel like I I'm looking forward to to reading it just because I know that I'm gonna learn so much. But how did you decide? you know, like just, just talk us through this process.
2: Yeah. It's, it's wow. It's, it's definitely wow. Um, I, I can't believe the time is here. So I actually was approached to, I mean, I've, I've been writing for ever. Um, I'm a writer started publishing with learning, teaching tolerance, teaching tolerance at the time, learning for justice now. Um, but I was approached in uh, 2019, um, a dear friend of ours, um, Liz Kleinrock, Rock, um, was in the <laughs> um, was working on her first book and um, interviewed me. At the time, I, I was working as a school leader and interview interview me on some of the the work that I had published before, and then I was approached to write, um, and that was in 2019. And so it's it's been a journey, um, you know, to this text. It was really challenging to, um, I would say, complete in the midst of everything that happened, like with the pandemic, and then this what I would call is like a long overdue racial awakening that happened post-George Floyd um, and Breonna Taylor and, and just doing the work that I do in the, the consulting space. Um, but it has been, it was really difficult to, to narrow down, like, what do I write about? There's so much to say as an educator. Um, there's so much that I've seen in my classrooms. And at the time, I was a school leader. And so there was a, a different perspective that I had then. But Really, I came back to just what's in my heart um, and really understanding that all of this work that we're talking about when we're talking about social justice, when we're talking about anti-racism, um, for me, the conversation it does not stop there and it does, doesn't just start there. For me, the goal is liberation. Um, and so it's thinking about folks who are relegated to the margins of society and really thinking about how we use the vehicle of education, a really, really powerful vehicle um, to not only ensure anti-racism, but, and I, I say this in the book, I say this in my work, you know, I think it's powerful to talk about, Racism, But we can't talk about racism and not talk about other isms and phobias, and especially as a Black woman, right? So if I'm thinking about my lived experience, if we are just talking about racism, and we should be, we should be talking about racism, and we should be talking about, and not just talking about, there should be a lot of action that's happening, um, and there ought to be and continue to be, um, and it should be sustained. But we also have to think about folks who are, who sit at this really deep and powerful intersection of harm. So those of us who are because of our, you know, beautiful identities, we can experience multiple forms of oppression simultaneously. Um, and so I really in the book, I, I I open up that conversation around, you know, how do we use the platform, the vehicle that we have, not only as classroom teachers but as educational leaders, because we do have so much power, we have so much influence. Um, as James Baldwin says in a talk to teachers, like we work with the hearts and the minds of young people, and that is power. Um, and so, how do we leverage that? What does that look like practically? In the book, I go through. You know, I provide some very practical um, ways. Like I get com- um, questions from educators all the time, like. Hey, I believe in this work, but how do I do it? That is a lot of the work that I'm doing, you know, in my consulting of like this is how you do it. This is how you structure your your scope and sequence. These are the types of essential questions that you ask. This is what you set your enduring understandings up to do. This is how you can approach a lesson plan. But then we also have I also have in um, you know other aspects of the book as an educational leader, what is my role and what does it look like to ensure liberation? Um, you know, for me, all of this is about love. I know that we're in a a state in a place right now in our country where, Folks are really divided. I think a part of it is, you know, this country has long had a really difficult relationship with truth telling. There's a whole chapter in there on truth telling and our role as educators to do that. But how do we center truth telling as educators? How do we center activism? Um, Certainly a part of this is our own healing and our self care. There's two chapters in there around that. And then what does it look like in our role as educators? Because we all come back to this word of love, right? This action of love. What does it actually look like to do that? Um, And we cannot talk about loving our students and ignore or not tap into, not teach into, not lead into the ways that so many of our young people are harmed. Um, And so without tapping into and paying attention to all of those pieces, we don't get to liberation. Um, And so that is that is what the book sets us up um, to be able to do and to continue to do. And I'm I'm super, super excited for it to be out in the world um, and to be one voice. There's so many other incredible authors and writers and educators who are putting forth work and who have put forth work in the past. And I'm really excited to be able to add this to our our canon, to our space.
1: Yeah. And I, am so excited to, to read it and I'm excited to just continue having conversations like this with you and also um, partnering it with action. Right. Um, so, okay. So Jamila, how can our listeners connect with you? Cause I know we've, we're going to get some like, Hey, we want to connect with Jamila cause I have so many questions um, or things resonated with me. How can they connect with you?
2: Yeah. So there are a few, a few ways. Um, uh, my website, jamaylapitz.com. Um, also I do, I don't live on Instagram, but I've learned to lean into social media, um, at Miss Jamila Pitts. And then I also have a LinkedIn Jamila Pitts and my email address is also on my website. It's hello at JamilaPitts.com.
1: And we will have all of this in the show notes. We'll have Jamila's article with Learning for Justice, also the link to pre-order Jamila's book. Um, And so we'll have all of this in the show notes that you all can just click on and check out. Um, And so with that being said, thank you so much for your time and energy, Jamila. This was just everything I needed today, honestly. And it's just so nice to catch up after many years of not being in the same physical space. Um, So we got to change that at some point. Um. (laughs) So uh, listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast at modernclassrooms.org slash 154. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded by Friday. So be sure to check back to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org, and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Praj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.